All right. Hello, and welcome back to Real Seekers. I'm your host, Dale the Real Seeker, and uh, we're continuing on with my panel review shows with my uh, one panelist here, uh, Shroud Skeptic, Hugh Ferry. Hey, Hugh, how's it going? Hi there. Fine, thanks. Awesome. Awesome to have you here. It's uh, just you and me. I think this is the first time uh, it's you've been on a show where it is just you and I. I think that's probably true, <clears throat> and it's also the first time when we've more or less been on a show where we probably agree with each other. <laughs> exactly. Yes. It's so this, is, this is the the brilliance. So today uh, we're going to be covering a couple of uh, sunlight-based ordinary artistic mechanisms. So uh, Nicholas Allen's proto-photo hypothesis, and also uh, one that's not covered a lot, but Nathan Wilson's uh, shadow hypothesis and. Interestingly, Nathan was a student of Dr. Gary Habermas, so now he's come out as a shroud skeptic there. So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to going over this because, hey, even though Hugh is a shroud skeptic, when it comes to these two mechanisms, he's actually on the pro-shroud side. We're going to be on the, the same team here. So, you know, that's going to be a, a great, great discussion here, a first, I think, on, on uh, my show here. So, but yeah, uh, Hugh, uh, over to you. Uh, just how have you been? What have you been up to in terms of your research lately? Um, I'm not sure I've been pursuing um, Shroud things recently. I, I'm not sure whether you know I'm an actor, among other things, and I've been busy acting recently, which has occupied okay. a, a lot of my time. So, uh, I yes, I haven't. Well, we did, we did analyze um, a person who I would have liked to have supported and was looking forward to supporting, um, but who made so many mistakes in the first few minutes of their um podcast that it wasn't worth supporting in the end um i can't even remember his name um but you do you remember and uh we both wrote various things uh, on his website uh suggesting that he was wrong uh, 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 an egyptian historian um, i'm not sure i don't know i don't remember Egyptian yeah, who's well thought of in the in the in the Egyptological world, but not so much oh. in the biblical world. Oh, David Falk. Uh, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, yep, exactly. Oh, yeah. For, sorry, <laughs> I blanked on that. Yeah, so David yeah. Falk did his video, and I did kind of a response video where I was quoting once again. He was on the same side as the, yeah. the pro side, right? Because it's about truth. We have to have great arguments. So, all right. So, so yeah. Let's, without further ado, let's get straight into um this uh, show here so let's start off with the um proto photo hypothesis and uh Hugh uh oh uh, first of all I'll just say hello to Ringo Cat um welcome welcome he's in the live chat there um but yeah so I just want to go over to you so obviously um one thing to announce is I invited people on such as Nicholas Allen I um as well Nathan Wilson and the scientist he worked with and I even invited on, uh, I got so desperate, I even invited on um, Prince and Picnit, who also go for the protophoto, but they they um, all declined to be on. But with Nicholas Allen, he did provide me his book, which he gave me permission to post on my blog for free for this show. So if you want to see the, you know, the positive protophoto side, Nicholas Allen has generously let me, let me uh, post up his book for free. So you read him in his own words. But with that said, I'm here with Hugh. So Hugh, I want to turn it to you. Can you describe what is the proto-photo hypothesis and yeah, what, what is that technique entail? Um, I think essentially what we need to see is that uh, in theory, 
photography could have been invented um, a great deal earlier than we think it was. And <clears throat> I don't think anybody uh, disagrees with that. It's just that there's absolutely no evidence for it. Uh, we do know that even the Romans used lenses, um, I think possibly beginning with just um, accidental blobs of glass, but then slowly refining them, uh, even as spectacles. Uh, and certainly the early Middle Ages spectacles were quite common. So lenses were certainly available if you needed to focus um, light onto a particular spot. Uh, and also the, uh, the large version of the pinhole camera, the camera obscura, uh, had been known for a very long time, uh, perhaps from about 1150 or so onwards, if not, if not before then. I can't remember the exact uh, historical origins of it. But you can imagine then that um, light could be and probably was uh, focused onto a uh, what we might call a retina or a back, a back screen of some kind. Mm -hmm. um, and the problem, which I, I don't we don't know whether anybody. Um, yeah, that'll do. <clears throat> we don't know whether anybody actually thought about this or not. The problem is how to fix the image that you've got. Getting the image is not a problem. It's it's holding it there once you've got it. And there are various different ways of doing it, uh, of which all the proto photographer people have come up with a slightly different plan. Um, the main problem with all these theories is that it was such a momentous discovery um, from the moment people started to be able to fix the image that uh, everybody publicized it. Everybody was working on it like mad. It was common knowledge that there were good photos and bad photos. It was such an exciting thing to happen. So the idea that somebody could have invented this and then there was absolutely no further investigation into it for another 500 years or so, that's what I find particularly far-fetched. That's That sort of deals with, with all the proto-photographic um ideas in one go every each individual one like uh this particular one which i think is Allen's. um nicholas allen's is that yep uh, ha ha has other things going uh, that are wrong with it so has nathan wilson's so have the picnic and print picnic and prince uh versions but the general objection to them all is that it's inconceivable to me that this is some kind of technology, any kind of photographic technology, which was never heard of again. Okay. Um, in terms of the proto-photo thing, so there are, there, I, mean, I and you both mentioned, there are different proponents with slight differences. So there's Ni Nicholas Allen, by far, is probably the best and most famous proponent. But there's also um, Clive Prince and Lynn Picknett as well. So do you, do you want to just kind of highlight what are some of the you know, minor differences between the different proponents there. Um, we'll notice, I can see on your diagram, Nicholas Allen mentions cloth coated with light sensitive silver salts uh, acting as film, mm -hmm. um, which for one reason or another can be fixed. I think down at the bottom there, we've got a bucket of ammonia to help fix the image afterwards. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, there's some objection to this, uh, especially by uh, Barry, but um, who, who knows very well that there is minimal silver uh, on the shroud. Now, silver's a, a 
very high uh, atomic mass element and should have been detected by various um, studies that have been carried out on the image. Uh, and a, a, a vanishingly small amount of silver has been discovered round about the area of the burns, which is not that surprising because we think that the silver casket melted and fell through. But there's absolutely no suggestion, I think, and even um, medievalists like myself don't think that there's sufficient silver anywhere else on the shroud to be associated with the image. Now, uh, I think Clive, uh, uh, no, Pignett and Prince, Lynn mm -hmm. Pignett, Clive Prince, I think, if I get their, their yeah. Christian names the right way around, I would hate <laughs> the, 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 to, to get them confused. Um, now, they didn't go for silver salts at all. Right. They went, as far as I recall, for potassium dichromate or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, and their idea is that the, um, the sensitized potassium dichromate um, also affected the cellulose of the shroud so that if you then washed off all the potassium dichromate, you'd still have an image left behind. Now, when I almost, when I very first joined the uh, British Society for the Turin Shroud, I carried out an experiment on exactly that chemistry. And I'll try and look it up. Um, and demonstrated that uh, it could occur, that you could produce an image using potassium dichromate, and then after washing it all off, you could still have the image left on the shroud. And just so, so you know, you, um, uh, Nicholas Allen in his kind of refute, he says that they also used ammonium bichromate solution as uh, well. Oh, ah, was it, was it ammonium bichromate? Have I got my potassium and my ammonium muddled up? So. Anyway, the, the, the essential point is that um, you don't need silver. Now, I think Barry, when you ask him, he tends to emphasize the fact you can't have a photograph without silver. Yeah. But um, that's, well, it's simply not true. Um, there, there are dozens of ways of producing uh, photographs without silver. And the, perhaps the, <laughs> the simplest way, and um, this is where uh, I think Nathan Wilson's plan was mm -hmm. to simply shine a light over a shadowed picture and where the shadows were, the light wouldn't affect the yeah. substrate and where the shadows weren't, no. the light would affect the substrate. And that can apply to a, a piece of newspaper. And, and we'll get, we'll, I'm saving the shadow hypothesis, just so you know, yeah, I'm saving yeah, the shadow yeah. hypothesis for later, just to, yeah. Um, so the, 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 so, we, we, so we don't need silver is, is the essential point. And I think that's really the main difference between the Picnic and Prince and the Nathan Wilson hypothesis. So it's so it's the solution they used to put on the cloth to make it sensitive to light, photosensitive to light, basically. That's yeah. the main. Now, there is another major difference just before we get into evaluating the proto-photo theory scientifically, uh -huh. which you've already started. There's a major historical difference between Nicholas Allen and uh, Prince and Picnet, whereas Prince and Picnet, they make this historical claim that, hey, the, the Shroud of Turin, it was made by Leonardo da Vinci in the 15th or, or maybe even early 16th century. And the Shroud Man, that's a, a picture of Leonardo da Vinci. It's not Jesus, it's da Vinci. So 
do you want to yeah. just uh, this kind of historical claim? Do you want to take a a minute or, or a few some time to kind of what's what are you well, taking to, to, to examine it? Um, I think perhaps the most important thing, and it's very important that authenticists don't uh, drop themselves right in it. It's very popular, very popular. You'll have seen dozens and dozens of videos and podcasts for authenticists to say Leonardo da Vinci wasn't born until 100 years after we know the shroud existed. Therefore, Picnic and Prince were idiots. Hmm. And that is said over and over again, clearly by people who have never read Picnic and Prince's book. Okay. And people who have read it and who do think that they have some, uh, who, who think that there's truth in what they say, naturally reject all the authenticist argument as being utterly absurd. The, the authenticists know nothing of what they speak if that is their reason for rejecting the Leonardo da Vinci argument. Fair enough. I, I'll, I'll fess up that I was one of those. I didn't call them an idiot, but I did see it as ridiculous for that reason. So, okay, great. Uh, yeah, well, give the, defend them. Yeah. That. Awesome. This is their book. Now, I, I don't want to tout it as, as the best thing in the world because I disagree with what they say. But it, uh, they are well aware of the early history of the Shroud. Uh, they have examined it in considerable detail. So they know. Uh, that there was a shroud around in the 1350s, and they know very well when Leonardo da Vinci lived. Their point is, is that the early shroud either disintegrated or faded away or wasn't very satisfactory, and so Leonardo da Vinci created a copy of it. Now, he'd have done that round about 1500, say. So that would be before the Chambéry fire, but well after uh, the shroud had left Leary. Mm -hmm. For one reason or another, perhaps when the Savoy uh, family took over the, uh, shall we say, the rag that Marguerite de Charny had been touting around, and they thought this is not appropriate to the um, uh, dignity of our family, we'll have, we'll have it reproduced. And then they got hold of Leonardo da Vinci and Leonardo da Vinci reproduced it. Of course, then they know, and again, they're not stupid. They've done their research that this runs up against the carbon-14 dating, uh, which plants the shroud back in the 14th century. Mm. On the other hand, uh, there was plenty of old material about, there still is. And so... Uh, they surmise that uh, Da Vinci got hold of an old piece of cloth, which might have been hanging around, um, and indeed, quite probably was it. But not necessarily, I may say, um, Israeli cloth. The idea that the, uh, the, the the cloth had to have come from Jerusalem is not very important, but there were certainly uh, masses of old uh, Roman cloth lying around in Italy, and indeed, there still is. I mean, now it's all in museums, but no doubt it was in private collections at the time. So perhaps, according to them, Leonardo da Vinci got an old cloth and uh, practiced with his early photographic techniques and came up with, uh, with, 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 the, with the thing that they had. And that's the basis of their argument. And um, in principle, apart from the fact that 
I wonder how much uh, how, how large amount of 13th century linen was, in fact, around in Italy at the time uh, for him to practice on. That's that's speculation on their part and, and not very well evidenced. But also, um, there was nothing that Leonardo da Vinci did that was terribly secret. I mean, we we've um, uh, uh, right. seen all his all his notebooks about helicopters and tanks and things like that. Now, perhaps they um, didn't come to much at the time because they were impractical and didn't work. But if he discovered a photographic technique which did work, I can't believe for a moment that it would have remained a secret uh, until uh, uh, for as long as it did. Absolutely. And that, that I think is, is is the main problem that I, I find against it. There's nothing there's nothing technologically implausible about their reconstruction, and we might say that there's nothing um, historically implausible uh, because there there is a a distinct gap we may say between uh, the shroud leaving Leary and arriving in Chambéry. Um, it's full of little bits and pieces. We see it going to Belgium. We see it going here and there. Mm. Uh, but it's possible that uh, that it was it was completely remade. Um, but there's no absolutely no evidence for it. So I, I think those two things are. It's not the technology that uh, makes me think that they're incorrect. It's the two factors that a there's no evidence for uh, any manipulation happening. Um, historical evidence. And B, there's no, uh, it's incredible to me that such technology, had it been uh, worked out, uh, wasn't then tried by everybody all over the place. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, I'm definitely going to want to come back to that. Um, because, believe it or not, again, Nicholas Allen was kind enough to send me his paper where he directly addresses the Leonardo da Vinci thing. And he he yeah. kind of agrees with you, your reasoning against it. He, he also does say that, um, the technology just wasn't there in terms of the glass lens that they needed and also the solution. But um, so, yeah, so even Nicholas Allen, who is a proto photo uh, proponent, he agrees with what you're saying there, Hugh, against uh, Prince and Picnet's techniques, specifically their version, and even goes on to say that scientifically um, it couldn't, it could, they didn't have that technology at the time. So, Okay. Um, so I well, it's they they we don't know that they had the technology. All the bits were there. The chemicals were there. The uh, cloth was there. The lens was there. The pinhole camera was there. But we have no evidence that anybody put it all together to produce a photograph. Okay. Okay. So hold on one second. I'll just share. Um, yeah. Yeah. His, uh, the little expert. Here's what Nicholas. Nicholas Allen says, uh, so this is his concluding remark. It is safe to assume that the Shroud of Leary Chambry Turin could not have been produced by means of the albumin and ammonium biochromate solution before 1798, um, was not made as a result of a glass lens placed 30 centimeters from the subject, which is what Prince and Picnet say, and then was not made by Leonardo da Vinci. Again, that's um, a historical thing, but... He does. He does seem to be saying. Even Nicholas Allen seems to be pointing to a couple of scientific issues. Um, do you know what what he would be talking about about 1798 as being his 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 cutoff date was was probably that was that when the first 
fixed photo? Is that um, Louis Daguerre or someone like that actually producing a fixed photo? Um, so I think it's it's regarding it's regarding the solution that they use to make the cloth photo, the ammonium bichromate. For some reason, um, that solution couldn't have existed before 1798. Well, um, that uh, I disagree. Um, I, I okay. don't know about I. I, I mix potassium dichromate. Um, I've, I just found my own uh, article, mm -hmm. um, and I'm going. Can I can I read this bit to you because it's Absolutely it's uh, ten lines long. <clears throat> but this is uh, my own laboratory report. I made a solution of 10 grams of potassium dichromate in 10 centiliters of water and mixed 100 uh, centiliters of the solution uh, with 30 centiliters of egg white. Okay. Uh, the mixture turned from orange to yellow very quickly as it was stirred up. After spreading 10 centiliters of the mixture onto the square of cloth and rubbing it thoroughly on both sides, it was hung up to dry. It was then put in a cupboard and a black and white negative was shone at it through a slide projector at a range of about 60 centimeters for two hours. So I wasn't fiddling about with um, the sun and, uh, and a pinhole camera. I was just shining a photo onto it. Hmm. The cloth turned burnt brownish in color and the positive image was clearly visible. Picknett and Prince claim that the light made the egg white slash dichromate mixture insoluble. So the cloth was then thoroughly rinsed in cold water. The whole image got fainter, but the paler, unexposed bits got paler still, perhaps as a result of the mixture dissolving away. The cloth was then dried, ironed, uh, and then boiled in water, and the image virtually disappeared, and such colour as remained was a very pale grey-green. Since then, no further treatment was given to it, although it recovered its brownish tinge. The remaining image was indistinct, very close to, it was only on one side of the threads. And in this respect, it bears comparison with the quality of the markings on the shroud. So using uh, that chemical, uh, it's possible to make a photographic image because I've done it. Uh, I even sent a photograph of my thing to the then editor of the uh, newsletter, which who I think was uh, Ian Wilson, who published my, my um, letter but he didn't publish the picture because it was too indistinct. Um, I'm just trying to find in Picknett's book the chemistry of it. But if you'd like to oh, carry yeah. on talking in the meanwhile. Yeah, fair um, enough. Uh, yeah, so I think, okay, so that's, and uh, you also mentioned in terms of the solution, since we're talking about that, turning to Nicholas Allen's, obviously Barry Schwartz is raised in his great paper and stuff kind of refuting this, that the issue that there Sterp uh, investigated this and they didn't find any quantities of silver and that sort of thing, silver nitrate or no. silver sulfide. And this is what Nicholas Allen says is necessary to make the cloth photosensitive. Um, do you know, at one point he even says that in his later speculations that it, it would have been soaked in this silver solution and we, we should. Yes, probably. Yeah. So do you think, do you think the lack of silver is a way to, falsify on a balance of probabilities nicholas allen's um uh, hypothesis there oh are you frozen oh no he's frozen uh oh ring. i came back yes i suddenly oh i, I can see you invisible but I, I seem to come back again 
Okay, perfect. So I don't know if you heard me. I was just asking, do you, do you think that the lack of silver, especially in the images um, where it would have had to be fixed for us to see it, is that a way to falsify Nicholas Allen's version of the protophoto hypothesis on a balance no, of probabilities? No, they, they didn't use any silver. Um, the, the, the whole silver thing is a massive red herring. Um, you don't need silver salts. They're not the only uh, photosensitive salts that exist. Um, chromate salts will also do. And I'm just trying to find them. Um, but do you, but Nick for Nicholas Allen he specifies those. So I'm saying, do you think? Oh, yeah, I'll see. Yes. Well, no, okay. quite. If you do specify silver salts and you think that the silver salts are producing the image, uh, then the lack of silver on the shroud is a bit of a problem. Okay. Um, did Did Nicholas Allen respond to that when you asked him? Uh, I didn't. I didn't ask him about that, but uh, I know he uh, does address it in his uh, in his book and stuff like that. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I think that obviously he's his main thing would be kind of like, well, it's obviously all off. It was all washed off and stuff like that with the urine. That's what he says, right? But I think the main counter response to saying, well, it's it's all washed off. It was, it would still have to be detectable. In the images, in order for them to be visible and stuff, there should be. Uh, oh yes, yeah. I, well, if the image is actually made of silver salts, then washing it off would have been no good at all. Um, if, however, the image or the 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 formation of the image had also damaged the cellulose, then technically you could rush rub off all the chemicals that were actually used to produce the image leaving just the damaged cellulose behind. And I suspect that's probably Nicholas Allen's hypothesis. Okay. Um, okay. And I, I have to say that I've got a little sympathy with that, except that I think there would, I agree with you that, that there would still be some, uh, some silver left behind. I mean, as you know, I think that there's some mileage in the iron oxide hypothesis, but that there's not enough iron oxide on the shroud now um, to be responsible for the image. So I sort of follow along the, the chemistry side is that you started with something which produced the image and whatever that was stained the underlying cellulose so that even after you washed the whole thing thoroughly, you still had an image made of degraded cellulose behind, left behind. Does that, does that make perfect gotcha. sense? Yeah, no, I, I get what you're trying to say there and stuff. Yeah. So, okay, okay. So, okay, uh, another thing just on the technique, the other thing that you did mention, well, I, have, did you find the quote from Picknett and Prince that you were looking for first or? Um, not exactly. I mean, I'm, I'm working on here, but I have found one thing. It goes like this. <laughs> and funnily enough, by another Shroud skeptic, which I think is quite, uh, well, not a Shroud skeptic, but a um, somebody who thought that Jesus was alive when he was buried. The British uh, Society for the Turin Shroud Chairman Rodney Hoare, hmm. who was who thought that the shroud was authentic, but that it showed that Jesus was alive uh, and not dead. Okay. Uh, and his justification for that was uh, the forensic scientists at Leicestershire University, I think, uh, in, in in his book. Anyway, he says this. In uh, this is uh, Picnic and Prince's book. In an early attempt to debunk our theory. BSTS Chairman Rodney Hoare, who in 
who used to teach photography, objected that it was impossible for the shroud image to be a photograph as it was inconceivable that Leonardo could have discovered the effect of light on silver salts. In our view, this is incorrect on two counts. Firstly, silver salts are not the only light sensitive materials. And secondly, the action of silver salts was quite definitely known before Leonardo's time. There is an enigmatic reference in Pliny the Elder's natural history, and we're talking first century uh, AD there, which was written in the first century. Yes, uh, that it has been has been taken to reveal his knowledge of the darkening of silver chloride on exposure to light. So uh, people did know about silver salts, even though they didn't necessarily use silver, or at least that Leonardo da Vinci, according to Picnic and Prince, did not necessarily use it. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So in that sense, Nicholas Allen is correct in thinking that the the use of silver is not um, uh, anachronistic. It's possible. Uh, it's just that there isn't any silver, and that that's that's a real problem. Okay. So the other thing on on the technique is about the the lenses, because that one of the criticisms on the, of the proto photo, whether it's of you know, Nicholas Allen or of um, Prince and Picnet is that, look, the lens that they would have had to have used just didn't exist in the medieval period. And so they, they will say uh, it did, you know, the techniques themselves to make the lenses that are required to do this didn't even exist until the 1550s or later. Um, so for example, they say the optical quality quartz lenses are made by heating quartz to about 3,500 degrees Fahrenheit, but furnaces were not able to reach the high temperatures needed to achieve these lenses until the Industrial Revolution. Uh, secondly, the quartz would have to be clear and very large in order to craft a lens with the specific dimensions that are needed for this technique to work. Um, and that's, uh, yeah, quartz crystals of this size were extremely rare and the most abundant supply of them were in the Western Hemisphere, which obviously weren't accessible to people living in the 1350s or the 1300s. Um, and then thirdly, the artist would then have to precisely curve and mold by hand the quartz into a lens in the shape of a convex curve without any imperfections, because the slightest error would prevent the high resolution uh, images that are observed on the shroud. So these are kind of the three things regarding the lens that make it very implausible. What's your what's your take on that from criticism? Um, it's I, I get this slightly when uh, discussing evolution. As you know, I'm a biologist uh, in my in my I guess in my spare time. Well, I was a full time biology teacher, and one of the uh, arguments against the hypothesis of evolution, uh, which I have to say I totally endorse. I, I don't. I mean, I, I don't endorse the hypothesis against it. I endorse evolution as as a scientific fact. But those who argue against it often say, uh, "How is it possible that one morning um, a fish gave birth to um, a lizard, mm -hmm. as if there were no intermediate stages?" Now, if you look at Nicholas Allen's photograph it's an extremely good photograph it's a high precision uh, a high resolution picture of a person 
you can see lots of things about him. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the shroud, it's extremely blurred. Now, as I say, the uh, the Romans were using glasses to see things better. Now, they weren't high precision quartz, multiple technically ground um, uh, optical mm -hmm. lenses, mm -hmm. and they weren't even, uh, I dare say, they, they weren't very clear to look through. But they were better than nothing. Sure. And uh, if you, uh, and as, again, Nicholas Allen decided, uh, I don't know if he explored both versions of it, but of course he used a pinhole camera, which doesn't require a lens at all. You don't use a lens. You don't need to focus light um, unless it's coming through a large hole. If it's only coming through a tiny hole, then any individual light ray can only go in one direction. The mm. point about the, the the large hole is that the light can scatter and and blur all over the uh, all over the plate that it lands on. Mm. So, if you combined a small lens in a small hole then it wouldn't necessarily need to be um, uh, particularly accurate to produce the kind of blur that most of the uh, shroud image is. I mean, I think you could probably produce a, a good um, copy of everything except perhaps the face and the fingers uh, by using a rounded pebble of glass. Um, very easily. I mean, the Romans had plenty of glass. Um, so, so I think people are looking for too much uh, optical quality or pretending that too much optical quality was required. And even the face um, is, is uh, people go on and on about it being high resolution. It's appalling. You know, look at me now. You, uh, the, my image as I appear on the screen, which if you're looking at me through a I don't know, a mobile phone or something like that is a very few pixels, is nevertheless in much greater definition than uh, anything that you see on the shroud. So, no, I, I think um, pretending that you need a very high quality, um, a high optical quality lens in order to produce any kind of photograph is a mistake. Okay, so yeah, so that's so that's interesting. So I just want to clarify that the pro shroud argument, though, is, is a little bit more nuanced. From my understanding, they, they're arguing that look, it's it, sure maybe with Roman lenses you can get some kind of image, but it, it's the argument is in order for it to be sufficient to get what we see with the resolution of the shroud images, which brings up that second issue. That that's another issue that be, the body images in terms of the high resolution. They're actually less. Uh, they're less good. They're less resolved, highly resolved, yeah. relative yeah. to what Nicholas Allen actually got. And that's actually one of the things that rules out his method. Is it the images are too good? Um, let me see if I can actually find. A... He used a very good lens. Now, if if he'd painted his lens with, um, I don't know, scrubbed it with a bit of sandpaper uh, and then painted it white, he might have got an image which was much more like the shroud. Gotcha. Okay. Hi. Hang on one second. I'm just bringing, just so people see what we're talking about. So here, yeah. here's the Shroud of Turin on the right. And here's Nicholas Allen's results. Uh, again, full credit to Nicholas Allen. Uh, he's the one who did this and take, took these pictures. So he gets full credit and stuff. But um, uh, yeah, so it, these are too good. These are even more highly resolved than what we have with the Shroud of Turin. So, but he, yeah. 
and then Hughes. So, so I think with the lens question here, the, the issue is um, that the pro shroud side is saying in order for it to be sufficient for what we have with the shroud, where the fingers are there and are distinguishable, you would need a, um, a lens to be used that didn't have flaws in it. What wasn't, you know, it had to be better than what the Romans had with their dull things. Um, does that make sense in terms of what I think sure. the argument is? Um, I, they are, I, I think they're wrong. And I think that uh, Pignit and Prince actually demonstrate them as being wrong. They're, they're, they use a, well, they're, they're using a camera obscura here. Now, can you see they, they use uh, fairly, fairly standard stuff. Um, we, we've got the little model devil. Um, and on the left-hand side, uh, no, where we right-hand side, uh, you can see their uh, image of it just through a pinhole camera. And so they're not using a lens at all there. Now, any kind of lens would improve that image, even if it was fairly crude. So, uh, I, you know, I think it's all very well. Uh, people love to say what would happen. But unless they've actually tried it out and found what would happen, uh, I think some of it can be wishful thinking. All right, fair enough. Okay, so I, I want to go to some of the other minimal relevant features regarding, uh, you know, the body images and, and bloodstains and stuff like that. So um, I just want to play a little 10 minute clip from a previous show. So I'm, Barry Schwartz, I'm going to be linking to his, he's written an entire paper. Yeah. Uh, refuting Nicholas Allen's proto-photo. So I just want to play his uh -huh. kind of, uh, this is from his master's class, share sound. All right. And then we can discuss some of these things as to why I think it's a failure. Yeah, there are a couple of other important technical things. Yeah. Yep. Is that showing up? Are you seeing the screen? I can see, yeah, I can see the skeptics theories. Okay. Beautiful painting. I wonder who said that. I think I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Wait, that was last last episode, but can you hear it as well? Uh, maybe my favorite. Can you hear it? It's not. I heard maybe my favorite, and then it stopped. Okay, perfect. So I'll just play it. Part yeah. because this is really right up my alley. The shroud image is a medieval photograph, possibly produced by Leonardo da Vinci. Now, but before I start this, let me first give great credit to uh, Professor Nicholas Allen. Professor Allen took the initiative to create a camera obscura to, uh, to uh, do an experiment to demonstrate his theory. He hung a statue outside of the camera obscura. And uh, so I give him great credit because unlike so many of these others who postulate ideas like Joan Nichol never actually made a scorched image, Nicholas Allen made a photographic image and did it superbly based on the techniques that he used. So I want to start by giving him credit for that. But let's talk first about what the camera obscura is for those who might not know. Basically, it's a dark room. And uh, in that dark room, you'll see there is a small hole at the opposite end of the room. And there is a statue that's outside that room out in the sunlight. According to Nicholas Allen, it took four days to expose his film, if you will. That film is on a piece of cloth that he had soaked in a silver nitrate, silver salt solution, because silver is light sensitive. That's what we used in photographic film and x-ray film. And so he created an image. 
The only problem I have with it right off the top of my head is that hanging a body for four days in the sunlight, you're not going to get the same result that you get on the shroud because it may start looking like a body at the beginning of those four days, but at the end of those four days, not so much. So, uh, but I give him uh, great credit. And Alan claimed that in the case of the shroud, the sheet was coated with a light sensitive photographic emulsion, primarily made of silver salt, and he used human urine to fix the image. Okay, uric acid can function as a fixer, fixer in the photographic process. To his credit, Nicholas Allen used this technique to produce a beautiful photographic image using a camera obscura and a life-size sculpture. And this is his photograph, which he gave me permission to use in about 1998, I think. Uh, Picknett and Clive Prince, two British authors, not only agreed with Allen, but further suggested that this technique was in fact employed by Leonardo da Vinci to create the shroud. So they took Allen's theory and sort of went beyond that. Now, Nicholas Allen, the one thing he didn't do is he never made a side-by-side -side comparison of his camera obscura results with the image on the shroud. No reasonable conclusion can be drawn without just such a comparison. For example, Allen's photograph shows a strong directionality of light from above. There's a shadow under the chin, under the cheekbones, under the chest, under the hands. His knee and his feet are overexposed, the left uh, the, his left arm is overexposed. So that's what you would get with a, a long exposure photographic image with a light source coming from above. You would get those shadows. Look at the shroud, however. There's no directionality of light evident on the shroud at all. In no direction of light. Now, the STIRP data proved, and Ray Rogers wouldn't let me use that word very often, I have to admit, but the, the STIRP data proved that the image on the shroud was darkest as a point where the body and cloth came in direct physical contact mm -hmm. and at the tip of the nose, top of the hands. The image grew more faint as the distance between cloth and body increased. And this result cannot be accomplished or duplicated using any photographic artistic mechanism that requires some form of direct interaction between the cloth and the body. That's the only way you can do this. Now, here's an example. The cloth was lifted away from the torso. I mentioned this earlier by the hands crossed over the torso. This lifted the, the cloth away from the torso itself. And if you'll look closely, you'll see that images made by light would not have this property. And you can see a kind of a halo surrounding the hands where there's more faint, the image around the hands is more faint than the torso. And <coughs> halo. And here, let me circle it. Within that circle, the background or torso of the body is much more faint than other areas of the torso where the contact was either more direct or closer. And again, you can see that here. Let me see if I can take that out of there. So you can kind of see that dark area around the hands. That's where the torso was further away and created a more faint image and darker on the light dark, light dark reverse negative view. Allen's result also shows a very distinct and sharp edge around the entire image, which one would expect from a, a properly focused photograph. And he did a good job in that respect. But the shroud image has no distinct edges. The image at the periphery just fades away as the distance between the cloth and the body grew greater. The image grows more faint until it just disappears. There are no hard edges anywhere on the shroud's image. 
Alan makes no attempt to explain the blood and how he got on the cloth. So give the man credit. He did something that Ray Rogers and Al Adler, who used to yell at me, do an experiment, would be very pleased with. He did an experiment, and he just didn't go all the way to make the comparison that I've made to show that, although he did a great job, he did not match the properties of the Shroud of Turin. So what I think, uh, and, and here I'm going to talk about it, I guess, no light-sensitive photographic emulsion or any associated silver salts were found anywhere on the Shroud. And we had highly sensitive spectral and chemical analysis. Uh, our pyrolysis mass spec could, I believe, uh, detect one part per billion with a B. Um, Alan claims that the silver salts were removed completely when he fixed the image. However, the fixer in the photographic process only removes the unused silver not necessary to create the image. What silver remains on the image is what's responsible for the image. If it were all removed, there would be no image as well. The image would be gone. If the shroud were made photographically, we would have found silver salt, silver everywhere on that cloth and even more so in the image areas. Now look, Nicholas said that in, in at least one of his later attempts that he actually took the cloth and soaked it in a silver solution, liquid silver solution. Well, that means it would have penetrated via capillarity through the entire cloth. And we'd have found silver everywhere. We didn't find any silver except for one microscopic little bead, tiny little bead of silver that may have come from the reliquary from the 1532 fire. We can't say that for sure, but that's the most plausible answer for that. And I just told you all that so we can move on. By the way, not one example of a photographic image exists prior to the documented invention of photography in approximately 1826. And that photograph still exists. There it is. That was by Joseph Nietzsche Nietzsche. I believe he was either French or Italian. I'm not sure. But that's his, that's the first photographic negative attributed. And of course, I've got this from Wikipedia. So you can see the link there. Uh, and here is the uh, peer-reviewed journal article, again, from Applied Optics, uh, the UV reflectance and uh, fluorescent spectra of the Shroud of Turin. Uh, I also had Kevin Moran, may he rest in peace, apply, uh, he, he had a VP8 image analyzer, and so he, uh, we asked him to take a Nicholas Allen photo and, and put it in the VP8 and see what kind of results we got. We did not get the natural release of the human face like we see on the right there. Uh, the mouth is sunken, the chin is raised, the hair is raised, the chest is elevated. Uh, compare that to the relatively undistorted nature of the shroud's facial features. That's what makes it significant, that the VP8 revealed the natural relief of a human form. No other photograph to date that we've tested that way does so. The shroud does. And that, to me, as an imaging guy, tells me there had to be some correlation between the body and the cloth when the image formed. It's not a painting scorch or a medieval photograph. So, there, and here's the paper on the three-dimensional characteristics again. Now, let's talk about uh, Leonardo da Vinci. He was born on April 15th, 1452. The first documented public exhibition of the Shroud of Turin occurred in 1355, almost 100 years before Leonardo was born. He was a great artist, but he wasn't that good. So, 
you know, uh, and, and look, this is a self-portrait. So, and Leonardo was so good at documenting everything. We even know the color of the shoelaces of his assistant. And if he had created something like the Shroud of Turin, he wouldn't have kept it a secret. He was a smart man and knew how to promote himself and did very well for himself, even in his own time. And okay. that is what we know for sure. Okay, so th so that's Barry's uh, kind of take, and I, I know we've already addressed the stop sharing. We've already addressed the Da Vinci stuff. Let's let's get rid of that. But scientifically, in, in terms of some of these features, uh, you know, the uh, negativity, the three dimensionality, um, body body image uniformity. So I I know that's something that you uh, dispute as as a, fa a proven fact. But but surely on the uniformity, the the Nicholas Allen image is so evidently not uniform, even more so than than the shroud. Um, yeah. Well, first of all, what's your take? Let me not put words in your mouth. What, what's your take on some of the things Barry was talking about? Uh, you're muted, just so you know. Oh, yes, you missed all my going. Oh, uh, um. Um, yes, Barry, <laughs> Barry makes a number of interesting points. Um, the first question I would ask him was to uh, look at that first photograph that he shows, uh, which we still have by, yes, Nicephore Nips, uh, that amazing, uh, rather blurred photograph of uh, rooftops or something like that. And ask, and ask what its chemical construction was. Okay. Um, will it surprise you to know that absolutely no silver was involved in it at all? That's the photo. Mm -hmm. No silver. He used bitumen and lavender oil. And that's all. Tar is photosensitive. And that's how he managed to make that, that particular uh, chemical. Uh, I did find the bit in Picnic and Prince saying that they used, <clears throat> it was then that plowing through an early 20th century dictionary of photography, we came across a process or rather a series of processes that had been used in the early days of photography, but had long since been superseded by more convenient methods. These used a property of certain chemicals, which when mixed with an organic substance would react to light in such a way as to make the organic parts insoluble in water. The sensitizing chemicals most often employed are chromium salts, chiefly potassium bichromate or ammonium bichromate. Many common substances were used as the organic component. So that's where I got my potassium bichromate idea from. Okay. Um, so so I, I, I'm, don't worry too much about the date of Leonardo da Vinci. That's not Picnic and Prince's... Um, point that that you know that's that's not a, a sensible way of, of debunking them however the really important thing which barry says and which i agree with totally is that if you are making any kind of photograph in the conventional sense then uh you not only have to capture the light onto a back of some kind but you have to shine the light in the first place it must come from somewhere mm -hmm. Now, nowadays, it's quite possible and not difficult, um, but it's obvious that 
Nicholas Allen didn't use it. I think he used the sun, which comes from a particular place. And it might take a while to cross the sky, but in general, it was above um, his, his dangling statue. And so, as Barry says, you can see highlights on the top of the head, the upper parts of, of, the, of the forearms, and certainly a bit of the knees and the feet at the bottom are very brightly shone. And we can see dark shadows under the beard, uh, perhaps, yes, if you like, in the, uh, uh, in the, in the, in the well of the diaphragm and um, underneath the hands. Mm -hmm. And this is something that we don't see uh, in the shroud, quite the reverse uh, in some ways, although we do see the knees are slightly darker. However, we have to watch out as to how objective we're being here, because some people have seen these shadows. The light, uh, uh, there was a, uh, a lady called Teresa Newman, I think, who wrote a whole book called Follow the Light. And she's a sculptor and she appears to have sculpted um, a figure of the shroud based on the light source that was responsible for producing the image. And she too thinks that the light came from, um, as, we, as we might say, uh, in front of the shroud and, and above the head. Say, say 45 degrees shining down onto whatever the image was. Now, she thinks it's authentic uh, and that the light uh, somehow was, was, was heavenly created from inside the tomb to shine down on the prone body of Jesus and thus produced the image. Uh, Nicholas Lavoie, the uh, surgeon of whom we have spoken earlier and who thinks that the image was created by the body being vertical, he too speaks of a light source from above and in front of, can't see my hand, can you? Yes, <laughs> above and in front of the body shining down. Now, I don't think that there is uh, evidence of that. And I think Barry is correct in his little picture of the shroud draped over a body. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think the the image is in is actually a photographic graphic negative at all. And neither does Barry. Uh, he thinks it, it must be related to emanation from the body in more or less a um, a, a vertical uh, a, a vertical line. So going yeah. straight up. Yeah. Um, and that I think is an objection to the uh, both the Pignit and Prince and the Nicholas Allen uh, hypothesis, but it's not necessarily overwhelming. I mean, there are there are lots of pictures which do uh, produce quite a good three D uh, effect because the light is evenly shone on all sides of the of of the of the object that it's shining on. In particular, of course, um, a statue that's white. Um, and in a recent thing that I've shown, technically speaking, if you've got a statue which is completely white, mm -hmm. it ought to be completely invisible, or at least all the features on it completely invisible because they're all the same color. The only way you can see any features on a statue which is painted uniformly white is because of the shadows cast by the light, which must come from a source in order to cast shadows. Mm -hmm. um, 
And I think I think that uh, Nicholas Allen or something he mentions that it, it had to be white in order to re reflect the light properly. Any like black, for example, would be the opposite. It would absorb the sunlight. Yeah, well, his, his main problem was that he was using sunlight. As I say, in order for me to produce um, any image at all, and it was very faint, um, I had to use a slide projector, which was uh, mm -hmm. focusing a, a, a small negative slide onto a small area of cloth, cloth um, quite powerfully. Now, he hung it for four days, bless him. And yes, as Barry said, that the uh, the idea of that happening on a whim and having been, you know, was it successful or unsuccessful? Well, we can't be sure. But um, that was a long and complicated experiment to carry out. And you'd have thought if it worked, they'd have done it again. <laughs> yeah. Um, unless they decided it was a complete failure, and uh, but somebody snapped it up and said, "No, all right, it's good enough." Um. So yeah, that's 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 the the uh, the Barry idea. Okay. But you okay. see, again, again, the, the fact that it has a distinct image around the image, the distinct and very sharp edge around the entire image was producing, presumably because he was using a very small pinhole. And to produce a sharp image, you need the smallest possible pinhole um, or a good lens. Now, if you've got quite a large pinhole with a very bad lens in it, then I think you're more likely to produce something that looks just like the shroud. And of course, Pignett and Prince also recognized that some features, especially the face, were uh, rather too well. Um, there was slightly more resolution to the face than there is to the rest of the picture. Uh, and so they surmised that Leonardo put that on separately, which was why he used his own face or it was a photograph of him or, or a bust of him or something like that. Much of their argument, um, not much of it, some of their argument rests on the fact that if you match um, a picture of, I don't know, a self-portrait of Leonardo uh, on one side against the shroud on the other side, they appear to have their noses, eyes and mouths match perfectly. But uh, that, in fact, happens with dozens and dozens of pictures. I've done it with uh, Princess Catherine of Wales and um, various other people. Uh, and it, it, it's there's nothing particularly... Uh, special about the proportions of the eyes, nose and mouth that you can't match against just about everybody. So the fact that it matches Leonardo da Vinci or indeed the fact that it matches uh, Dürer's picture of uh, called the light of Albrecht Dürer's picture of the light of the world doesn't to me prove that it was made by uh, Albrecht Dürer. And it doesn't prove to me that it was made by Leonardo da Vinci either. OK, OK. Awesome. Or, or, or that it was based on Princess Catherine of Wales from that point of view. Okay. Which it also matches precisely. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Okay, cool. So so thanks for your take. Just just to recap. So I think in terms of negativity, I, again, barring your issues, but just what, what we mean by the photo negativity, it gets this method gets a check mark. Obviously, that's what we're seeing in well, that's what it is. That, it's that's what this, negative. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And um also uniformity, you seem to be admitting, well, Nicholas Allen. Uh, fails here, but the only reason is because he's using the sun, and that obviously he has the top-down directionality. But if we don't postulate that, it was made in an artist, a medieval artist or artisan's studio, and there was a unnatural light 
at about 45 degree angle behind the head you said or something or above, no, above in front of and above in front of and above yeah, then we I'm, wouldn't I'm, have these issues of bright spots and dark dark that's, areas well, so. that, that, no that 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 light source produces those things so in order to do away with that uh, what nowadays you would i don't know you'd use some kind of ring flash so mm -hmm. that you had lights all the way around the camera um and and they would all flash at the same time so that you'd get pretty well even lighting all over the subject okay and do you think that would okay well you dispute the i don't i don't think that was likely at the time because it wasn't considered particularly important okay okay so that was that's a historically unlikely scenario then but yeah just scientifically speaking if they had done it it would have achieved body image uniformity as the shroud goes I think in so. your opinion. I think so. yeah okay yeah. and you also mentioned the image diffuseness it this fails but if circumstances were different uh the pinhole was larger and that sort of thing it would yeah. have it could have reproduced the image diffuseness so that's a check mark in your yeah so generally speaking it's easier to make something worse <clears throat> gotcha okay okay um and now here's the one that you agree is a total failure the vertically collimated or the vertically wrapped mapping distortions this method i think you said just inherently fails to reproduce that feature am i correct on that front in terms in, of the vertical? yeah in, in in my opinion it, it does um although i have to say that as, as i said that there is a certain subjectivity to that in that neither uh not 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 these people who we've been discussing but also quite eminent shroud authenticists also think that there has there was a light source doing exactly what we see there okay perfect so, um sorry Lavoie especially produces several photographs of um uh, of an elderly gentleman lying flat and standing up and with the light shining on him in different angles showing that if he was standing up and the light was shining from him from above and in front it would produce a shroud like image and uh, he's a sensible person so um you know as i say there's a certain amount of subjectivity to deciding that okay perfect so there are only three three features that i think you ha didn't cover that i want to get your take on and then we can move on to the shadow hypothesis but mm -hmm. so so the first thing let me just bring up the image uh, barry brings up the vpa the the three-dimensionality uh this is it i said this is another failure what's your take do you think that the proto photo method can give well, a, a topographical info yeah like it's, it's not too bad but you can see there very 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 well the light shining down shone on the uh top part of the breast therefore making it more prominent which is why it appears more prominent there also shone more prominently on the beard which is why you see the beard sticking forward there shone mm -hmm. i have to say on the nose making the nose rather better than it is on the shroud look at those two noses the nicholas allen's nose is better than the shroud nose <laughs> Uh, in that it's, it, it, it comes out, uh, I mean, it starts uh, less depressed and it comes out more depressed, as indeed real noses do. Um, and then, of course, he had light on the top of the hair, which is why you've got that rather prominent ridge over the top of the face. Mm. Um, so that sort of thing would could have been uh, removed if he'd lit it in a different way. 
Okay. Okay. So you you think that it would get it, it would get a check mark again, depending if it was lit and lit properly. But again, the that yeah. supposition is historically implausible. No one in the medieval ages would have lit it in lighted it in the way necessary to get no, the because uh, it, it it presupposes that you were trying to get this um, three dimensional image, which I don't think anybody was. Okay. Okay. Perfect. Um, okay. The, the other major issue that um, I don't have a photo of, but that Barry raises and that I use is the issue of superficiality, right? I mean, th this thing, uh, it, it, depending on the photo, whatever the sensitizing solution was, let's say it wasn't silver. It was whatever client uh, prints. It it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, wouldn't it, it wouldn't reproduce the three levels of body image superficiality at the fiber thread uh, maybe at the fabric level it would have, um, maybe, but not on the thread and fiber levels, right? Um, well, I think it probably would, yes. Using, using uh, Picnit and Prince's, I don't know if they look at the back of their, their image, um, but, of course, what they did is to completely remove um, all their um, light-sensitive stuff. And so all that was left was the... Um, was 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 the was the image uh, of degraded cellulose, and mm. when I did my experiments, that you could see absolutely it was very faint on the surface and absolutely nothing on the back. So I think the superficiality worked in that respect. Now, I don't was, know what Nicholas Allen did. He he also soaked his cloth. I mean, I soaked my cloth until it was rigid. Uh, you could hold it. I mean, it wasn't very big. It was about ten centimeters square, and you could hold it up like a postcard. Okay. But when it was completely washed, rinsed, and uh, everything was washed away, it was as floppy as it was before, and the image was barely visible on the surface. And did you study it microscopically to see if there were only the top two to three fibrils were colored, and on the fibril level of only the primary cell wall was I've colored? Or got no, well, I mean, I've got no reason to suppose that the um, anything more than the primary cell wall should be colored, because why should it? I've gone anywhere else, you know. I think the idea that things seep into plants um, is is biologically unsound. I mean, it rather suggests that people don't know what plants look like or behave like. Um, so you're unlikely to get anything seeping into the fibrils. But no, at the time I was I didn't have a microscope good enough to be able to tease the fibrils apart to see how far into each thread the image went. Um, I'm, I'm not sure that my piece of cloth was sufficiently tightly woven to be able to be diagnostic anyway. Mm -hmm. But you do, you, in theory, you do think it would get a check mark if the cloth was prop, you know, was like the shred yeah, I think of it's possible. I think it's possible. Yeah. Possible. Okay. Okay. Uh, and last but not least, so I know this is a, a fact you took issue with, but in terms of the, the, the blood stains, right? So uh, when we start adding in blood stains, uh, how, yeah, let me just ask you in general, how do you think that proto-photo methods would uh, do in terms of explaining the formation of the blood stains and well, it, its properties? Not at all. <laughs> That's absolutely right. Uh, there's no question of the fact that the blood is not photographic in any sense whatever. Um, it, it, it doesn't appear sensible from a negative point of view it doesn't appear sensible from a 3d point of view it's just 
red pigment or red a red coloration. It might actually be blood or it might be blood reinforced with vermilion or whatever. Um, but it is blood and it's stuck on the shroud. Um, do you, so, yeah, do this, you, this, this, this photographic hypothesis doesn't explain or have anything to do with the blood. I expect if Nicholas Allen did it, uh, he'd have just put some red paint or some blood on it afterwards. Gotcha. So he, he just thinks the bloodstains were the traditional painting hypothesis. Yeah. That. yeah. Now, I know you deny this feature, but just, just for the sake of the audience, and then we'll move on. But uh, that feature where the body, there's no body images underneath the bloodstains. Do mm. you think that this would be a, a problematic feature, um, you know, kind of lining up the, um, because, well, one thing here is two, two things, right? So in order to get these images, it's not just a one pr process, right? So he had to do the face separately. He obviously has to do the frontal image and then the dorsal images separately and line all of these up and then presumably put on the blood stains at that point. Um, or if you think he put the blood stains on the cloth first and then he set up the process, how, how did he line all of these things up to, to fit? I, well, I, I personally, I don't have faith in the idea that there is no image under the bloodstains. Um, I don't think it's well argued um, by Heller and Adler. They're only looking at individual threads. Um, they talk about uh, the threads of the image being more or less corroded than threads that are not of the image, a, a, a feature which nobody else has managed to see, um, which Eugene, uh, Eugenia Nitowski, sister Damien, uh, specifically denied. She said she never saw any of this corrosion at all. Um, so it's how that was based. I wish we had more photographic evidence so that we could um, we could check on that. But I don't think the evidence that the there is no image under the blood makes uh, uh, is is sufficiently attested to be an objection to my idea that the blood was put on afterwards. Okay, but there's still let, let's pretend you're right. Let's say there are body images underneath the blood stains for the sake of argument. Um, the, I think there's still this issue of lining it up because you have to form the frontal image separately, form the facial image separately with this proto photo method, form the dorsal image separately. But somehow they're all aligned, perfectly aligned, as though they, it would look like when it's a uh, you know one single body wrapped in a shroud naturally, and then somehow these images are formed. And then also you have to bring in the blood stains and make them look in realistic spots too. So do you well, see yeah, yeah, well, I suppose Nicholas Allen. I mean, I, I don't want to speak for him, but uh, if it was me, remember it took four days uh, for this image to appear. So if after one day, when he could barely see it, he put all the bloodstains on then, then the rest of the image could then go on on top. How about that? Okay, okay. I think if and, I was Nicholas Allen, that's what I, I might suggest. Okay, and, and how about aligning the dorsal and frontal image and the facial image on the bodies? Do you think that would be difficult to no, do? If you're no, I don't think that's not, not really a problem. I, I don't see why it should be. I mean, you just fold the uh, cloth round a bit more and keep it in exactly the same place, keep the body in exactly the same place, by now rotting away. Uh, but mind you, he used a polystyrene one or something, so um, perhaps if he was looking to a medieval person doing it, 
they could have used a plaster statue or something like that. Okay. All right. Cool. So why, why you would think it would be an actual body? But the, the point is that the image taking such a long time to form, you could start when it was very faint, then paint your blood on, and then put the rest of the image on um, if you wanted. Okay. All right. Cool. So that basically covers it for the proto photos. So I want to move on to the to the other main hypothesis, and this is something I've only covered once in my uh, Shroud solo shows. So this will be the first time I have an expert talk about it, but it's Nathan Wilson, that infamous student of Gary Habermas and his shadow hypothesis, which interestingly is the exact opposite of the proto photo, because in the proto photo, it's the sunlight that is creating the images. In this case, it's almost like it's the shadow, the lack of the sunlight that's creating mm -hmm. the images. But yeah, Hugh, I, I, over to you to just first describe what is this process? What is the yeah, shadow? And it's, a, it's a brilliant idea, and I have done it myself. Um, and it works. Uh, only I haven't done it using a glass on cloth. Uh, I've done it using glass on grass. At one point, having nothing better to do, I wanted sports day at my school to have a big image of the school logo um, in the middle of the field. So after it had been mown, I then layered, uh, covered the field with a, a plastic cloth on which was painted the school logo in black. Mm -hmm. And after two days, took the cloth off and sure enough, there was the image in yellow on the grass. And I thought, well, that's jolly good. Um, so it, it, it's, it's certainly possible to do that. Uh, and you don't necessarily need, uh, uh, you know, need, need any, any clever uh, equipment. As I say, I used a plastic sheet rather than a piece of glass, but uh, glass would have been fine. Now, but the problem is that, of course, the reason the grass went yellow was because the sun wasn't shining on it and so it had died. Whereas what we want is for the uh, image to go black or, or to stay dark while the area around it goes white. Now, you've got a lovely picture in the middle there. Mm -hmm. Now, that seems to me to suggest that the shroud, the whole cloth, I should say, was dark in some way. And it may be, I haven't read... Um, uh, Nathan Wilson's uh, structure of how he did this for some time, so I can't remember uh, that the whole sh the whole shroud was dark, uh, yeah. so that the sun shining on it bleached it. Correct. Yeah. Now there's some um, some discussion <laughs> as to what happens when you shine light on linen. Um, obviously, we perhaps are familiar with the fact that that bleaching linen by laying it out all over the fields was a very common feature of the Middle Ages. Um, and so not bleaching it, but covering it with something could also uh, have, have, have had a, an interesting effect. One would, one would have to look at the, um, have to look at the chemistry of bleached and unbleached flax fibers uh, to find out what the difference was and then compare those to the fibers that you find on the shroud in order to check uh, whether this method was, was likely or not. However, um, it seems to me that it's a fantastically simple 
and fantastically easy thing to do. And that having been the case, if I'd invented it, I'd be doing it all the time with all sorts of things. Mm -hmm. I'd paint a picture of the king and I'd produce a photograph of the king on a piece of cloth. You know, I'd be doing all sorts of interesting things like that. Wouldn't you? And the fact that it's only happened once is, in my opinion, the, the, the biggest argument against it not happening at all. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree and stuff. Uh, in, ter in terms of the method, there, there is that initial uh, implausibility, which you seem to say is a question requiring further experimentation. But well, you know, so for example, if we, so if we, if we just take um, Alan Adler and indeed his um, fellow conservationists much later on, mm -hmm. the main worry today is that the shroud is not getting lighter, it's getting darker. Exactly. Words, yeah. It has been bleached and it's getting darker rather than that it wasn't bleached and it could get lighter. Exactly. And, and this is the whole basis of, of John Jackson and Paulo de Lazaro, right? That the images are darker because of the ultraviolet radiation. And, and so sunlight is seeming to make it darker and stuff. Whereas this guy's saying, no, 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 the, the, it was a, initially it was darkened. And then they put this painted glass or this painted image over top. And th that blocked out, out the sun, the painted image blocked out the sun, creating a shadow keeping it that way and then the sunlight shone on the rest of the cloth lightening lightening it white making it more whiter or bleaching it yeah. so that the images were different and well, i mean I, I can quite see uh if i was a a, a medieval uh, linen maker and i laid out my linen all over a field and a bit of it just happened to be under a tree and, mm -hmm. I, and I came back a week later to collect my bleached linen I'd have seen the shadow of the tree on the linen. And I'd have said, my goodness, look at that. Now, if I was trying to make some sheets for the king, I'd be really pissed off. I'd think, oh, I wish I hadn't stuck it that far under the tree. I hoped it wouldn't matter. But if you were a scientist, you'd have gone, my God, I, you could make a picture doing that. So it's a, it's a very easily intuitive possibility that you start with unbleached linen and bleach it using um using light however as i say first of all we don't think that actually the shroud we think the shroud actually was bleached and is slowly unbleaching itself and getting darker rather than lighter yeah. and also if i discovered that the whole world would know about it in a few years i'd producing i'd be doing dozens of them exactly yeah okay so okay cool so so outside of those kind of initial plausibility aspects that kind of falsify this and first of all if you want to read uh his, it's shadowshroud.com and he uh that's right yeah he's got all of his images and hypothesis so he did a series of three experiments yeah. the, the ones we were looking at were from number one but they get a little bit more diffuse when he he puts them out for less time and stuff but i, I just want to ask you before i get into other stuff so in terms of the scientific evaluation of the minimal relevant features so Obviously, in terms of negativity, it, it fulfills that. Um, we're looking at the negative images and that sort of thing. Am I still sharing? Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So, um, okay. Body image uniformity then, uh, to whatever degree you agree that it, uniformity, the body images are uniform on the shroud. Do you think that this method would also explain body image uniformity aspect? Yeah, because it's exactly the same front, back, top and bottom. It. it it would be uh, there's no reason why why either side should be different. 
Okay. Um, and now in terms of three-dimensionality, um, hang on, let me go back to the slides. Uh, so it, it looks like it's just very horrible. Um, but what, what's your take on oh. the three-dimensionality? Do you, do you think it oh. could... Of the shadow image, I, I think the three-dimensionality of the shadow image is very good. Um, I think you could do a lot better than that. <laughs> okay. I mean, I, trying increasing the uh, z-axis slightly and smoothing it better, and I think you'd find that that's pretty good, actually. So you you think Nathan just didn't know how to use the VP8? I guess is that like, that why does it? I, well, I don't know. I'd have to have a go on his uh, his machine. But his, um, I've got his, his photo here. And uh, stop sharing. If you're sharing, yeah. you know, hold on. That's right. I'll no, stop sharing my screen. Okay. okay. Yeah. Well, no, I've got it on a different computer, so I, I can't share it. But um, I, I, I think that's probably uh, able to be produced better. I'd have to switch it, I'd have to take a screenshot, put it into Image J. <laughs> and jiggle it around a bit. But I think you'd probably get quite a good 3D image out of that. Okay. Um, Again, uh, because it, it was painted in order to have that characteristic. So let so let me so let me ask you that this then. Here here's I, my right, Nathan's image is better than Nicholas Allen's from that point of view. Yeah. Okay. Um, like I said, I, I'm just going based on his photos of his work. Yeah, and it it yeah. doesn't look better. But if if you're saying, well, it's just he didn't know what he was doing, I I could fix it up. Fair enough. But yeah, let, me ask, let me ask yeah. you this. Uh, let me ask you this theoretical objection then. Um, because obviously the three-dimensionality in this case is coming from the painted. Hang on one second. I'll just share my screen again. Uh, it's coming from that painted glass. So essentially, we're talking about um, uh, where is it? Uh, from this painted glass, we're talking about the traditional painting hypothesis again, and the ability of an artist to paint the topographical information with a paintbrush and stuff. We we've proven scientifically they they can't do that, and even for certified forensic artists attempted to do that on with the traditional painting paintbrush and methods and they couldn't reproduce the shrouds topographical information said, i don't i i that confuses me to be honest okay um the images that they are reported to have produced which are which are in i think one of john jackson's papers they're not very good um and i, I you could do better than that yourself um if you were given a similar sort of image, especially if you were told which bits were the brightest and which bits were the darkest. I mean, the thing is, they're not they're not just not very good in terms of light and dark. They're not very good in terms of shape. Um, one of them has a beard which looks exactly like the shroud beard and is nothing at all like the beard of the bas relief they were told to copy, as if he was actually not copying very much from from that but was interpreting it in the light of the shroud itself uh, more or less circular and some of them have got a very narrow and angular shaped face and you think well i i, I could have done better than that um so i'm not sure what the circumstances were um in which these highly qualified artists were were 
we're, we're drawing quite honestly okay I, I love the facts oh sorry have you can you see that have you got those there hang on there, in one of john jackson's papers um i'll bring it up yep you can share your screen i've stopped sharing so you can share if okay, you want well I'll, I'll i may i may look a bit well, one, one thing while you're while you're looking that yeah. up, the, the thing that I would respond to that, if if your counter is, well, they were kind of fudging it on purpose to make them purposefully bad. So I, don't think, I don't think they were. I, I I just I find it very confusing. Okay, yeah, they were just okay. Well, yeah. that seems implied, but is, no, is well, there... as, as you know, I I I don't believe that people were fudging it or confusing it. I think everybody was doing the best they could. Um. Well, but that's, uh, just, that, they're, just they, not, they're just not very good. Okay, because they um, even had anchor points. But if it if it is e very easy, whether they're actually trying or not to do way better than this, that there is that point that well, yeah, but look throughout all of art history, nobody has done better. Like, uh, you know, why why has nobody why has no other painting uh, passed the VP eight image analyzer test in, in the way the shroud has? Like, what why haven't you? Because, ah, well, obviously, because the shroud wasn't a painting, it wasn't produced in that way for doing that particular thing. But it would in this method, if if the shadow hypothesis is true, it, it was only it was put on glass or something else. Would I think would even? Make oh well, no, that's that's a serious objection to um, Nathan Wilson's. Uh, is it? Yeah, yeah that, Nathan Wilson's um, hypothesis is that you have to paint the shroud fairly well in order to get it to do that and i i suspect I, I think that's quite difficult i think if he'd managed to do it uh i don't know supposing he'd got a best relief and a very thin piece of silk or something like that stained his silk and then laid his stained silk on a piece of white cloth something along those lines uh, he might have got it um right now i'm going to can I share my screen? Yep. I know it's, this goes really complicated. Is it present? Present, present. yep. And then click on share, share screen. screen. Then go to an share entire screen. screen and click the image in the middle um, so that, close so that it has a blue border. Oh, here we go. That's what I want to share. Click share. All right. There right. we go. Lovely. Okay. So this is just one of the, well, I could probably slide it about. Now, up on the um, A is the uh, bas relief, or I think it's a, more of a bas relief or some kind of statue, that artist A was asked to copy. And if I look at artist A, can you see my uh, cursor wriggling around the lips yeah. of artist A? Well, yeah. I, I won't go further because it goes back, but the beard, look at the shape of the beard here compared to the shape of the beard here, and then their relation. Yeah. And it's as if, I mean, and, and the, the bas relief is, as I say, more or less circular, and that's quite different. And I just wonder how he managed to copy it in that way, because the two things don't look to me as if one is a copy of the other. It's a very nice picture of a face but it's not a very good picture of the face above i mean look at the shape of the lower lip for example mm -hmm. that just doesn't seem to me to be a very good one now down here we've got artist b um 
And again, we've got no beard at all. Now, maybe here the artist was thinking that the sides of the face completely disappeared, in which case he's not doing too badly there, I think. Um, he, he's, he's made the tip of the nose a bit more whiter and less distinct from the bridge of the nose, which is why it comes out in a point just here. Um, but then the shroud has some slightly uh, dodgy aspects about the nose to it as well. And here is artist C. And again, it doesn't seem to me to be a very good imitation of exactly what we saw above. And we're back to them again. That one's not too bad. Yeah. The, he's got the beard a bit better now. This is oh, That's artist B. Artist A doesn't seem to recognize what the beard was like. Artist B is at least trying to copy the image that we see. Um, yeah, it looks it looks like some of them are trying to... They've got the shroud, obviously, in mind. Like, especially yeah, that first yeah. guy. I mean, if, if you compare any of them to that image that we see there labeled A, they're just not very good copies of it. Uh, and that's what makes me want to know more about how it happened and, and what happened so that we can find out um, what what was going on. The And one thing I would say that obviously the point with this is, is more about the three-dimensionality and they were given those anchor points to use yeah. in order but to see, This one is not in, this isn't too bad. In fact, it's probably better than the shroud. The nose is more prominent. The, the lips are more, are more distinctive. The eyebrows and the but bottom of the eyes more distinctive. You might say it doesn't look anything like the shroud. Well, no, yeah. <laughs> because the shroud's got a great big splodge of hair all around it, which this doesn't have. And it may be that that artist realised that this hair is a good deal further back than the cheek, and therefore, although it appears white in the photograph, wouldn't appear at all on a uh, body cloth distance um, relationship. And that's why he's missed it out completely. Yes, yeah, so I, I, I have. It doesn't like the shroud, but the the, the the image doesn't look anything like the shroud. So I, I just I I just disagree. Like I'm looking at it. This this is nothing compared to this is horrible. Like, do you have the VP8 of the shroud uh, image above in the paper mm -hmm. or, or somewhere else available? Because that that looks nothing like the shroud's quality yeah. at all. Uh, no, but that's a picture of the shroud. Now, if you remove all the, take all this off, because it shouldn't the be there, as it were. Yeah. You see, the the, the hair could only be there uh, okay. if it was right forward. And in the model that the um, artist was looking at, he was saying to himself, the hair is 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 well receded, and therefore. It wouldn't appear on the um, on the cloth as I was told to do it. Okay, I see what you're this, saying this now. Hair, without the hair, okay. Yeah, can, this, can, this hair can only be bright um, if it's if it's well forward of where it ought to be. Okay, uh, and okay, so I'm just picturing it without the hair. It does. Okay, can you go down? So here um, we've got all we can see here is. The eyebrows, we've got some balls for the eyes, which we can't really see. Um, and then you've got the nose with all its bumps and things on it. I, I can clearly see the mustache and then the lips and, right and there. The mustache and, and the lower lip. You can just see one lower lip. So as we go down. I saw both lips, but okay. Again, so here okay. we can see two lips and the mustache. Now, no, you've see, got even, even without the hair, this is like the nose is messed up. It's like 
It's like a yeah, well, as I said, you can see that here, the white bit that he's left here, ah. it should perhaps fade into this darker bit here better than it has done. Um, but apart from that, uh, I think we could uh, mm -hmm. we could do something with these three. Of course, <laughs> I mean, oh, well. uh, you... I, I, I saw what you were saying when I when I, yeah. I blocked out the hair with my fingers as best I could. Yeah, I, I can see what you. It's it's harder to make out without without that hair. It helps, yeah. but it's still of a evidently superior quality. Like this is this is not good. I could I'm see the lip, both lips, the mustache. Before your very eyes. Let's try. Can you see what I'm doing here? I'm going to capture that, and now I'm going to open image J. And I hope we'll still be able to yeah, see it. Come on. Well, yeah, just putting the the VP8s beside each other like that, I think, clearly does that. Well, while you're doing that, let me just ask yeah. you on the other features, just so we're not wasting time with dead air. But uh, okay, so vertically collimated wrapping distortions. Do you think the shadow hypothesis would successfully explain that feature? Oh yes, obviously, because it's not. Um... You know, there is no wrapping distortion. It's just it's a, it's a straight photograph. So we don't see wrapping distortions from ordinary photographs. Why would we see a wrapping distortion on this one? So it, so it wouldn't explain explain what we have with the shroud. So on that we, we can, we can, yeah, there is no wrapping distortion on a painting or a photograph. Um, so there wouldn't be one. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So that's a failure. That, um, that, 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 that only, that, that, there's only a wrapping distortion if you assume that the image derives from a body lying down or standing up. Okay. Okay. Cool. Um, and now about body image superficiality. How how would the shadow hypothesis do on those three levels of superficiality? In your view. Um, I, I probably exactly the same. I don't see any reason why. Uh, images should sink into um, into the cloth. Right? Can you see this? Nope. Can you see my? Or have I got to share a different screen? Yeah, you're still sharing the paper. Okay. So, so I'm going to uh, find the my stop, share. stop sharing that, hmm? and then slide this up here. <laughs> Present, share screen. Share screen, find a new window, have a look at this. Come on, share. Oh, here we go, share. Right now, the here is the exactly the same photograph. Whoops, now there, do you, do you remember the uh, the point? In fact, what I'll do is I'm going to change it onto the original colors. So, there's the picture we've been looking at. Yeah? Yeah. More or less. If I take the smoothing away, we'll probably see it almost. Oh, no, we won't. We'll see it exactly as it was. So if we just increase the smoothing a bit. And there's the, 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 the very um, the bright point of the nose. But as we move it sideways, there you can see that the, the bright point of the nose is as a peak sticking up there. Now, at the moment, our perceptions are altered by the fact that we're looking at the original painting so if i turn it blue now this is entirely in terms of light and shade and i can show that uh, of shadow i should say if i take the lighting off 
you can see that it's a uniform blue color. Everything about this is blue. The lighting is uniform, so you can't see anything. So all everything I add to it is in terms of relief. And that's, I think, what the VP8 image analyzer does. And I think this is quite good. It's much better than the picture in um, John Jackson's, um, his, his version of it. You know, you, you, in order to see whether there's a 3D image or not, you've got to have the opportunity to manipulate it to its best. If you manipulate the shroud image, as I'm manipulating this one, it will, it can look, it, you can make it look good or bad according to what the best, uh, the best version is. But I think that's pretty good. And see the upper lip better. And again, yeah, I definitely see okay. the lips better. Yeah. The eyes are bulging out and stuff. And the nose is no longer on an angle. So that I don't understand. That it should still be going up much, to the left. It's much, it's much smoother than the shroud nose. No, no, but I mean the tip of the nose. Yeah, it, well, it sticks out. We go, we go like that. See that little point there? Yeah. That's where the artist, the artist did a did a, a, a white spot and he didn't blend it into the darker ridge of the nose. I get it. But in, in John Jackson paper, it, it looks like, are you sure you didn't manipulate that? Because it was on a, a angle to the left a little bit. Uh, looked like. Well, I, 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 I can easily make it. I can easily make it look dreadful as indeed, you know, anybody could um, try and try and find a way of. Uh, well, that's that's what like John Jackson's is just the unmanipulated images. And oh, no, like, you can't. You, it's not. There we go. If I if I if I make it go like that, so minimum smoothing. Well, now you can hardly see anything at all. But I can do exactly the same with the shroud. You 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 take any image and you manipulate it using the parameters that you've got to appear as good as it can get. And that, I reckon, is what the VP8 uh, could have done with that image. Okay. But it's, yeah, I think it's got to be consistent. So if I remember what the, like, everything was consistent in terms of what they used with the shroud, the VP8 unmanipulated image, and, and those other images. So it, it has to be consistent to have a proper comparison test. And, yeah, when you showed that. Um, no, 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 it doesn't. I think it's quite important that it isn't. Um, the shroud image uh the settings on the on the 3d envisager making it perfect for the shroud are deliberately set so that they make it perfect for the shroud so they wouldn't necessarily be good for any other kind of image similarly if i get the uh the artist's image and make them as good as they can be and then put the shroud on it you can see that the shroud is not very good so uh, any any particular image has got to be adjusted so that its 3D qualities are seen at its best. Okay, I, I tell you what, did, did you the see... The shroud completely destroys um, the view uh, of the shroud completely. You, you know, you, you cannot see it at all uh, unless you uh, remove the weave by uh, smoothing out the image. Okay. Um, okay, cool. So may, maybe make uh, some from photos comparisons kind of thing where, okay, ideal yeah. for the shroud versus some. that, and then uh, things that are ideal for that versus how does the shroud come out looking 
under the ideal conditions for these photos. And I can post, again, we, we don't have time to do that live, but uh, yeah. I'll post it up on my blog for you. Oh. Okay. No. Okay, so we- not, I haven't got it so far, yeah. You, you don't have to do it now, like unless mm -hmm. it'll take two seconds, but. I think I did it with uh, extracting the image from the noise. I might be able to do it. Hang on a second. Up, up, up. Okay. Let me get it edited up. Uh, I don't want to. It's on my blog. Yeah, talk amongst yourselves. You you don't like doing that. Hang on. <laughs> see, see, this is this is where we having uh, more people on the panel would help. I could ask. That. Um, okay, so okay, so in terms of while you bring that up, then yeah. superficiality. You think it would be a check on all three levels that the top two to three fibrils would be colored and only the primary cell yeah. wall would be affected i guess in in the reverse thing okay um blood stains obviously the bloods it's kind of the same as the protophoto these were added um no no obviously in terms of no body images under the blood stains both the protophoto and this method it would fail on that front if the body images okay so you're sharing something um if the body images were created first and then the blood stains painted on top of them we would still have the image color underneath because they were created by the uv radiation and or from the lack thereof in the case of the shadow hypothesis yeah. so if that's a fact it would fail um and yeah this is basically akin to once you get the shadow thing you just paint the blood stains on so um okay so yeah go ahead and talk well, this is us. this is the mark rivera image mm -hmm. and the, uh, it, which is particularly good because it, uh, i think it's one of the best in my opinion because however he achieved it what he did was he managed to extract the image from the background and okay. what i like to do is to check whether that's true or not and the way you can find out whether that's true or not is by taking the image and putting this image on top of this image. Now, if it's absolutely perfect, the darks on this image will balance the lights on this image so that the image itself will completely disappear. And here is me doing it, sliding that one on the top of this one. And here, beautifully, I think, the image has vanished. Everything else is there. The blood, mm. the creases, the lining and so on and mm -hmm. so we've got in mark's uh effect the 3d effect is much better than it is on the ordinary image now this is the ordinary um image and you can see that it's it looks all spiky and needly because what we can see is all the um different textures of the threads getting in the way this line across the middle here is the bottom crease these horns here, which some people used to think were Jesus wearing the devil's horn, this is the water stain, that's all visible there. And okay. this is what you get if you look at the actual shroud. Only by removing all that do we get something. Now, these two are, are manipulated in exactly the same way. So they've both got maximum resolution and minimum smoothing um, using image J. With the okay. result, this is a, is a very good picture, but this one isn't. And so you have to adjust them. That's a, this is, like I said before, where there's no light shining. If there's no light shining on a monochrome image, 
then you won't be able to distinguish any features. It's of necessity completely grey. As soon as you add light to it, you start being able to see things. And these people here are uniformly coloured. Uh, they're both popes. And the, re the reason we can see anything, and they're not just white blurs, is because of the shadows caused by the relief. And that's what we see using um, using this one. So uh, we're, we're looking here only at the relief image. And what we notice is the rather curious shape of the nose, which bounces up and down in a very peculiar way, and the extraordinary point of the lower lip, which I think I've pulled out. Oh, not a perfect three-dimensional image of a face, of course. That's what it looks like sideways on. Mm -hmm. There's the nose. Now, it's, um, it's not as uh, pointed at one end and then smooth all the way like the artist's was, but it's by no means a good example of a human nose. And then here is the lip. Can you see the, the lower lip, uh, which is remarkably pointed? Yeah. So in many ways, the shroud image has its own um, inconsistencies. These, we're told, are perfectly circular um, bubble buttons or something. Well, they're nothing like that at all. Um, and here's another uh, version of it from the sideways on. Oh, this is looking at bruises. You see this big bump here, um, which is supposed to be a bruise, or maybe this one here is supposed to be a bruise, um, which which they come out rather well in um, this version. But obviously they demonstrate that the shroud is not a negative because a photographic negative, because if the shroud was a pho photographic negative, then the bruises would... Uh, would, would, would have come out light on the photo when, in fact, uh, they're dark. Okay. Anyway, okay. Um, no, 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 I go on to, to um, look at other things. Um, so okay. I can accept that. Yeah. Okay. So I, I was just looking at my notes because uh, the last thing we were talking about superficiality. Um, but, yeah, yeah, the only note that I have in terms of the shadow hypothesis is actually regarding it, it would fail the – double superficiality aspect, which is not an established minimal relevant feature. Yeah. But that, um, I wrote that it can't um, account for that because, quote unquote, his method would require sun bleaching of the back of the cloth in order to remove color from the threads and fibers through the depth of the cloth to finally leave a superficial image on the front. And then he would have to do... Um, I'm not convinced about the double superficiality at all. Yeah, right. neither, yeah, neither am I. I, I well, it's it's not a minimal relevant feature. I, no, there are um, pro, even pro shred guys that kind of question. I think it. If, if there is any double superficiality, it's in exactly the same way as the blood, that a slightly darker pigment has seeped its way through and arrived on the other side, same way the blood has. Gotcha. Okay, cool. So I think one of the things just on, on the on the feature of that, um, in the 1973 investigation, they pulled out uh, some threads that were covered in blood, and somebody noticed. And I think I put this in my next blog um, thing. Somebody noticed that the blood uh, doesn't seep into the threads. It goes around the outside of them, but the thread, the inside of the thread, is clear. So even something as runny as blood doesn't penetrate the threads. 
So I think something as viscous as an ink or something like that, there's no reason why it should penetrate the threads at all. Okay, but it does penetrate. It goes beyond the two to three. Well, it goes through uh, and in between the threads. Yes, yes, yes. Obviously, because it turns up on the other side. Yeah, exactly. So, okay, so the thread level uh, stuff. But, yeah, you're talking about maybe the, on the primary cell wall. I don't know if they examine. I, I think the primary cell wall and the thread superficiality are spurious. I, I, I don't think that I wouldn't expect any coloring agent uh, to go through the primary cell wall. Um, unless it actually reacted with it. I mean, obviously, you can stain uh, a thing with a chemical reaction or you can degrade it, um, such as by, by using heat or radiation. But there's no reason why a pigment should go into it. That, that's biologically meaningless to me. Okay. Um, yeah, well, I, I know, yeah, obviously, most pro shrag guys say that it, it would penetrate beyond that. They, uh, they, but... they, they must stop saying it would. What they have to do is if it's something as simple as that, get some paint, slosh it on some cloth, anybody can do it, and then have a look at it. And you'll find that it doesn't. Gotcha. Okay, so <laughs> here, so I think that covers it in terms of the protophoto and, and shroud uh, shadow hypothesis. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we have one question from the audience, but just as a, as a closing word, is there anything about these two mechanisms that we missed that, uh, or criticisms that we should be aware of that we didn't cover? Or? Um, well, no, 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 I don't think so, except as I say, and I think it's, it's really worth emphasizing that the better, the, the, or the, the, the more possible it was to be done, the more reason there was for it to be copied. I'm not a great believer in um, a secret inventor inventing something which is likely to be amazingly interesting and possible and then keeping it a secret so that nobody found out about it. There are a few instances of whole civilizations being wiped out. Mm -hmm. And then you find something perhaps made by the Aztecs. And we don't know how they made it because they didn't have an opportunity to pass it on. It was totally destroyed. And the entire, you know, perhaps the entire civilization was lost. But if you've got one person who discovers something no, no, he's, he's, he lets everybody know about it. I, and I think that's especially the case, given what you said, look, historically, that this shroud skeptical notion of a medieval genius working in his attic by himself coming up with this, I've discovered the shroud, that that's not how artists worked back then. They were craftsmen or artisans that had teams of people. They were like companies type thing that they were hired to do a task. So it, it wouldn't yeah. be the case historically that just one person would discover the shroud through this proto-photo method or this shadow hypothesis, and then, oh, they died out and kept, took their secrets <laughs> with them. No, they'd have a whole team. <laughs> well, if, it, <coughs> if it worked with a shroud, the next thing you'd do is with the bishop or the pope or the king, or you know, it, it yeah. would be amazing. Okay. All right, cool. So here is the uh, the skept the audience, and this is from a shroud skeptic, Richard Hunter. Uh, mm -hmm. Question for Hugh. To what extent is the 3D image obtained using software from the Rivera image an accurate recovery of the bas-relief that he believes the shroud was created from? So this is kind of related to your image forming mechanism. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. And I think it's probably a very good uh, recovery. All right. All right. Cool. Yeah. There we no, go. I'm, I'm, and and in, 
<laughs> for want of for want of further investigation, I'm really impressed by it. I like it. All right, cool. So there you go, Richard. Hopefully that helped. And yeah, I think that's that's it for today's show. So thank you so much for for joining me. Um, I think it was a, a nice thorough uh, investigation. Sometimes you agreed with me. Sometimes you had some points yeah, you disagreed. Yeah, yeah. That, I, I think we looked at. Uh... And that was great. It was great too. I like that you kind of steel manned. Uh, and I have to confess, as on the pro shirt side, I I did just dismiss uh, the Leonardo da Vinci thing as ridiculous without even looking into it. So I'm, I'm glad that you kind of steel manned them a bit, even while still disagreeing. Yeah, I mean, the, it, it's quite interesting. I mean, the book was published in my copy, 1994. Yeah, yeah. How is it? 95. How is it that not a single shroud researcher has read it? How about that? <laughs> Well, I, I wouldn't go that far. I'm sure they're. I'm sure they're. challenge. If there's anybody I, who's actually read the Picnic and Prince book, mention it in the comment and say, "Yes, I have." And I realized that they didn't suppose that Leonardo was born at the same time as the Shroud was first exhibited. Gotcha. Okay. There's a challenge for them. Okay, cool. So, yeah, I, I knew they didn't claim that. But, uh, yeah, I, I confess I didn't read their book. So shame on me for that. But, uh, anyways, uh, thank you so much for joining me. And have a great week. Uh, next week, uh, I will be on the Reason and Theology podcast. So I was on their show talking about the Shroud of Turin last time. And this time they want to ask me about my apologetic method in general. So we're going to be talking about arguments for God's existence, uh, outside of the shroud, why else am I a Christian? You know, the historical evidence for the resurrection, my vindication prediction argument. So basically everything in one. So look forward to that. But other than that, have a have a great week, everybody. Take care. Cheers, then. All right. I've hit the red button.